Before we get into the episode, a quick reminder that The Last Trade is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and nothing should be construed as investment or legal advice. Now for a word from OnRamp. OnRamp is a Bitcoin asset management platform built on multi-institution custody. We serve high net worth individuals, institutional investors, and financial intermediaries with the best-in-class suite of products, which include multi-institution custody, a spot Bitcoin fund, on-ramp wealth for RIAs, and private wealth services for high net worth individuals. Leveraging our partnership with BitGo and other industry leaders, OnRamp's multi-institution custody is a first-of-its-kind institutional-grade vault, requiring two of three institutions at any point in time to sign once a client's unique permissions have been met. Our multi-institution vaults utilize cold storage key signing and authentication at the direction of the client to maximize security for client assets. This pioneering approach to custody is the foundation of OnRamp's financial products, which reduce counterparty risk associated with trusting a single institution. To learn more about how OnRamp can help you secure a new or existing Bitcoin position, please visit our website at onrampbitcoin.com, where you can schedule a consultation and connect directly with our team. What you're telling me is that music is about to stop, and we're going to be left holding the biggest bag of odorous excrement ever assembled in the history of darkness. 1974, 1987, 92, 97, 2000, and whatever we want to call this. It's all just the same thing over and over. We can't help ourselves. I say when we sell. Hey, 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 I say when we sell. Gentlemen, I'm sorry, we're five days late. It's my fault. It's on me. (laughs) It's not not on you. There was a a lot of travel last week. A lot of travel. How was Vegas? I heard this term once. It was uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> I've only heard it once. Just once. I caught, uh, I didn't tell Mitch or Alex this yet, but I caught Michael. I was going to Missouri. He was coming back from Vegas in the Austin airport. We ran into each other. Yeah. It was a handing off of the baton to go orange pill other people. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> It was very cool, to be honest. Um, it was great to, you know, we'll probably talk more about this, but it was awesome to meet Alex and Mitch in person, along with a lot more of the BitGo team. Um, you know, the the orange coin, the, the the Bitcoin side, there's some work that OnRamp can help with some of these these firms. We had some late nights and were able to, you know, kind of pull people, help get their allocations outside of these uh, alternative currencies into the, <laughs> you know, to where they should go. Uh, and I think we did some work on Mitch. Mitch is, you know, in, in, in New York and he's hanging out with, with these groups and we're talking about Texas and land and a lot of the, the freedom that we have here. And that was part of the the sell when I we landed, hit you and Parker in the, the airport. It was like, oh, guys are headed out to go uh, spread some more orange coin good. And then texted Mitch. It was like, yeah, you know, when you land in Austin, you just find some Bitcoiners. They're heading off into the thing, hand off, and go go back home. And you know that the uh, the world's in good hands. He's like, wow, <laughs> that that kind of helped with the the pitch. And there probably couldn't be a, a more different type of conference. I went to Jefferson City, Missouri, a town of thirty thousand people, for a small conference of two hundred Missourians to orange pill the pensions in the state on Bitcoin. It was a great day. Very focused well, on Bitcoin. 
That's the beauty of what we're doing here, right? We recognize that we have to meet people where they're at and they're everywhere. That's <laughs> true. It was funny. Me and Michael were, were texting, I think it was, was Monday or Tuesday morning, just looking around the conference and we were just, I don't know, probably 80,000 people were there. I don't know the real number, but it, it was, it was tremendous. And just looking around, it was, it was significant portion was TradFi and we're just you know, saying we're, we're just seeing a whole lot of people who are short Bitcoin here. So we got work to do. I mean, TradFi, Barron's cover over the weekend, time to buy bonds. All the TradFi guys are like, hey, blood in the streets, we're buying bonds, we're aping in. As the U.S. government's about to print $1.37 this <laughs> fiscal year. It, it is wild. I've never been, to be honest, I've been to a lot of conferences, you know, being in like traditional cells in my career. And uh, I've never seen the amount of kind of like just like wealth and money and people moving oh, around yeah. in that conference. Um, but that was part of it. It couldn't like help but look around and be like, all these people are very short Bitcoin. And also there wasn't like a big, I know Mitch can speak more to this because he's attended previous ones, but there was a crypto presence. Um, what was interesting, I went to go listen to a David Marcus talk, which happened to like coincide when they launched this new UMA protocol or whatever it is. And uh, I thought there were there was a group sitting there waiting for him. I thought it was waiting for him, but it was like digital wallets that Google and like some other, you know, large conglomerates were setting up across the globe for whatever they're digitally doing uh, in crypto. And then they all got up and left when Marcus came to talk. And so it's just like, man, we really are early. Like nobody even cares about this whole Bitcoin or lightning thing. Yeah, you sent I, me I'd a picture. Say, I was like, oh my yeah. God, there's nobody in there. <laughs> the like money 2020 in general, uh, payments is a is a significant, significant portion of, of the attendees. And, you know, from a crypto perspective, you know, lightning you know we're, we're, we are starting to mature there but you know compared to the the volumes that you know you're doing in stables um you know we, we are we are certainly lagging um you know from that perspective uh, so we've got work to do but at the same time i i saw you know very 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 little um you know lightning presence uh in at money 2020. alex what's your perspective going to vegas from the uk you know, it's interesting. Um, one, it takes a special kind of person to build a city of that size in the middle of a desert. That's my UK take on that whole thing. Um, now, just like comparing the conversations that we were having at our joint launch party compared to trying to get into conversations on the floor of the conference, there's a lot of work to do, right? People still asking, oh, like, hey, what's CoinCover? Okay, cool, get that. Can you tell me a little bit more about crypto? Okay. Like, where does Bitcoin come from? How do I know it's backed by anything? How do I use it? Where do I store it? Like, that is the level of understanding where a lot of these very senior, very accomplished TradFi people are. And, like, there is a big gap in educating them uh, to get them to the point at which they're able to even, you know, understand, okay, some, some very simple concepts around what, sound money is and what it could be in the next 5, 10, 15 years, right? So there's a huge, huge gap, um, which is exciting because it means that we've got a lot of work to do. But it, sometimes you realize that like, yeah, this really is 15 years in, still just scratching the surface of what it's going to be. And that was really my takeaway was that, okay, cool. I came away with uh, 
you know, I had a different job that wasn't just hanging out with you guys all week. I came away with zero leads um, and a big understanding of like, oh my God, there's, there's a lot still to be done here. We're still early. And you mentioned it 15 years in it's October 31st, 2023 white paper. Yeah. Happy birthday was, white paper. was emailed out October 31st, 2008, 15 years. Nice number divisible by five. It's uh it's pretty crazy to think. It's crazy to think I've been in it for 10 years now at this point. That is crazy. That's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of time, a lot of like, it's it. Yeah. I can't imagine what it's like. I would think like, let's say half that time for myself and you start seeing patterns recognized. It's almost like, you know, it's kind of an edge, uh, especially in like the business sense, because you get to see what's, what's working, what, what hasn't worked. But yeah, for 10 years, I can't imagine what it's like to be able to see the same. And then also the groundhog's day or the, you know, alternative, the, uh, what is it? The eternal September of like every, you know, couple of years, just seeing this insane kind of like, Mining death spiral. It's not backed by anything. And you're just gonna you're just gonna live this for the next it's like a curse for the next fifty no. years, Marty. What Alex just described is the eternal September. It's like we're so in it, we're like, Yeah, this thing's gonna change the world and you go up to somebody, they're like, What? What do you what is this thing? And they're not ready they're not ready to understand, right? Did you um did you say it was emailed out? So that's a part of the story I don't know. Who mm-hmm. who received those emails? The uh the cypherpunk mailing list, I believe, or no, it was the P2P, the P2P mailing list. Um, it was like an e-cash, like an e-cash, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was an e-cash thread maybe on the P2P mailing list. We can be specific here. I'll go to the Nakamoto Institute. Or actually, Logan, you look it up, Nakamoto Institute. Satoshi emails first one. But yeah, it is crazy thing. And Alex, you said, eh, what's this going to be like 5, 10, 15 years out before we even project out into the future i guess since we're sitting here on white paper day let's reflect first 15 years even though people in vegas don't know what this is it is pretty crazy how far this has come from an idea on an obscure mailing list to uh, a software implementation a few months later to a 600 billion dollar asset class within 15 years Bitcoin, that top one. Yeah. Yeah, the cryptography mailing list. I think reflecting on the last 15 years and sort of where we are at today, I think the, the two pretty breathtaking, amazing things to me is number one, the fact that, you know, obviously we're we're on the cusp of ETF approval and seem to have momentum going there. Um, but number two, you know, I think we've always dreamed of Bitcoin being that safe haven asset, that flight to safety. Uh, and you had Larry Fink on, on CNBC you know, doing the marketing for us and, and telling that. But I think, you know, in watching Bitcoin price action when things go wrong, um, you know, Marty, you've been doing this for 10 years. Generally, you know, we, the, the correlation reaches one and, uh, you know, Bitcoin, look at the crash in, in 2020, um, and you know, we we tend to be correlated to the stock market and equities when um, you know when things do happen. But I think the amazing thing for me was when Silicon Valley Bank went down. Um, I think we really had the moment where Bitcoin was the flight to safety, yeah. and it, we actually were what we you know 
proved out to be what, what we had always hoped for. And I think we're seeing some of that with the movements that are going on right now compared to what's happening in the bond market. Uh, I, I, this is what I'm, you know, obviously with you got the ETF and having coming up, but Bitcoin performing as that digital gold, as that flight to safety, as that non-sovereign money, um, you know, actually you know, taking place with supply demand in, in the marketplace. That's the beautiful thing that I'm seeing 15 years in and what I couldn't be more excited about. Yeah, I actually wrote about this last night, 2023, the year <laughs> of the great Bitcoin decoupling. Um, this is a chart that exemplifies exactly what you just described, Mitch, which is the divergence between Bitcoin performance and these are the big banks. And Logan, if you scroll down, um, we'll see the regional banks, which are faring much worse. And that's, I mean, I sort of played coy in the newsletters, like, well, the only thing we know about Bitcoin's outperformance this year is that there's been more buyers than sellers. What's actually driving that imbalance in, in supply and demand, who knows, but if one were, yeah, to put out a reason why Bitcoin should succeed, it's exactly because of the banking crisis and considering what the bank's balance sheets look like with a bunch of toxic assets, also known as treasury bonds as, as their liquid reserves. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, I got it. Makes sense that Bitcoin would outperform. It's up 107% this year. While most banks Did are down be- more than 20%. The beauty is it's like these little inklings are slowly getting into people, traders' minds of, um, I got a note from a mutual friend, very tenured Wall Street individual, um, worked for one of the largest hedge funds. And his his note was, the more it goes up when other stuff is going down, the more it goes up. It's the most reflexive asset I've ever seen because this is his first real cycle seeing kind of like, not, not only the market, but also just seeing the alternative to like what's happening in traditional space. Um, and it's just getting started. Yeah. It's just the beginning, 15 years in. And what we're here to talk about today, I mean, Mitch was on the last episode, wasn't last week. I almost said last week, but we missed last week. Sorry, everybody. No, this is last week. We're going to, we're just, uh, we're, it's, it's a little extended. We saved it for white paper day. There's a lot of travel, people flying all over the country, orange pilling. Uh, so this is part of last week. Okay. I like that excuse. We'll use that. But we've got Alex, uh, as you may have picked up from Coin Cover on the show as well, on ramp. Coin cover, BitGo, uh, are working together to bring this multi-institution, multi-sig custodial solution to the market. Uh, we got Mitch's story on the last episode, uh, but Alex, let's learn more about Coin Cover, what you guys do, and why this partnership between on-ramp Coin Cover and BitGo made sense for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, and an absolute pleasure to get to spend some time with both OnRamp and BitGo last week in Vegas as we launched this partnership. I think, um, you know, a good place to start is uh, really in outlining what CoinCover is, how we communicate what we do. Uh, we see ourselves as a risk mitigation company. Um, and really, we've built a core business oper- uh, offering around mitigating the risks around losing access to private keys. I think, you know, it's, it's the stat that everyone likes to spout off, um, that 20% of Bitcoin is lost forever. Great for everyone else, you know, decreases the supply. A very core part of our mission here at CoinCover is making 
all crypto, I won't say just Bitcoin, uh, all cryptocurrencies safe to use and hold for everyone. Um, and when you think about what that means, right, we were looking ahead, doing some crystal ball gazing, 5, 10, 15 years. If we really want to see mass adoption of Bitcoin and other currencies, uh, let's talk about Bitcoin, that risk around losing access to a private key, losing access to your Bitcoin must be solved, must be abstracted away. Um, in the same way that money, fiat money, the, a lot of the problems around losing access to that have been solved, we must do the same thing for Bitcoin. And so really, when you think about CoinCover, that's what drives us. Uh, there are other bits of tech that we build and we deploy to keep uh, assets like Bitcoin safe. Um, and so when we were approached uh, by OnRamp to take part in this multi, how, what are we describing it as? Multi-institution custody, right? Uh, yeah. We absolutely jumped. We jumped at the opportunity um, for a number of reasons, right? One, we see it as absolutely driving the state of custody forward. Um, we, like, and we can go into that in a minute, right? I think there are, there's a whole wealth of reasons why we wanted to get involved in it. Um, but then on the other side, uh, we've been partnered with BitGo for a good kind of four or five years now, um, offering all sorts of services through, through to their clients. Um, but again, primarily offering hotkey recovery, right? So on their hot wallets, when you sign up with BitGo and you want to use their hot wallets, you, uh, have to set up some way to back up those wallets so that if in any scenario, either you lose key material, um, the very small chance that BitGo goes down for whatever reason, there is a way to then go and sign recovery transactions to get your assets back. Uh, and a very common option on that platform is to use CoinCover, toss that away to a trusted third party, abstract away the risk, abstract away the complexity around you having to look after these keys. And then if anything goes wrong, you can give them a buzz and they'll help you get your assets back. We've been doing that for kind of yeah five, six years. I hear stories from our founders, Adam Smith and David Janczewski, uh, of sitting in a meeting room in the BitGo offices in Palo Alto with Mike Belshi, kind of hashing it all out over a weekend. Um, and they definitely uh, tell those stories with a kind of rose-tinted glasses, glory days look in their eyes. Um, but it's amazing to see where that's come um, and the kind of opportunities that have come out of that now working with OnRamp to, to really drive things forward. What I will say is there's a lot of similarities around how we uh, operated with BitGo uh, for a long time now looking after those wallets. We should dive into those, right? Um, the, the narrative in the space has been focused on MPC for so long. It's refreshing to see the strength uh, of multi-sig sort of coming back to the fore. Um, there's sort of a, a false narrative around it being a weaker setup. Um, and so, yeah, being able to leverage the expertise that we built with BitGo now, deploy that through OnRamp is, uh, is very exciting. Let's dive into that, the differences between MPC, multi-party computation, and multi-sig. I think we may have done it once or twice in the past on this show, but it's always important to refresh because MPC has dominated the market of third-party custody of crypto assets more broadly. And I think mentioning crypto assets is important because that's probably why MPC has dominated because it's a sort of one solution for all these assets where multi-sig is very uh, 
particular to Bitcoin. Um, and so people would argue that um, just because MPC can do custody for all these different crypto assets, Bitcoin's sort of just been bucketed into that as well. And many would argue that uh, it's a suboptimal solution for custodying Bitcoin specifically. And Marty, to, to sort of dive into that a bit, I, I think where where we got lost on sort of MPC superiority is is in the altcoin space. Um, Bitco actually does multi-sig for um, for altcoins. Uh, and, and by altcoins, I'm, I'm actually saying anything you, non-UTXO based. So there are some altcoins, you've got Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, that are UTXO based, do have native multi-sig support. Um, we previously actually did um, you know, and still have a multi-sig implementation for for the altcoins. Uh, it's smart contract based, uh, but what you what you have in that multi-sig setup is it, it, it's expensive to do, uh, and that's when you know the MPC you know companies are you know declaring victory because it's it's a costly transaction to to go use multi-sig for for those wallet for those transactions uh, on the Bitcoin or UTXO side. Multisig has always been superior. You've got you know, transparency on chain uh, for for who's signing the transaction. Um, you know, all three of those keys are are held on chain, and you know, true distribution of um, you know, each of those keys uh, takes place, and you know, none of them have to come together to go send that transaction. Uh, you can go sign from. You know, your own uh, location, and once the chain has both signatures, um, you're good to go and can broadcast the transaction. Yeah, I think the the two big ones um, we're working on some real good material because I think like ultimately to help educate on this, and Mitch and I were, were chatting about it in Vegas because it came up, and is sometimes it'll get confused with MPC and multisig because folks that use MPC will think about the sharding of keys and hear about how they can have multiple you know, keys uh, sharded that need to come together. But that's, that's basically providing, it's still a single key. It has, it's very different than, again, multiple signatures, which are going to have a basis of multiple private keys. Um, but the two things that come to mind to make it like super simple is interoperability and then uh, auditability. So to Mitch's point, multi-sig is part of scripting language that's native to the Bitcoin protocol. And it's my understanding that it goes back to cryptography decades previous to even Bitcoin. So it, it's it's been battle tested. It's hard and it's where BitGo leverages it for Bitcoin. And also if you think about like a Coinbase will leverage multi-sig for their cold storage custody of Bitcoin while they'll leverage MPC uh, and their proprietary instance of it for all coins. And then the interoperability, while it hasn't been as important, I think that if we can start to look at the landscape, and we'll probably talk about this today of like why multi-institution makes sense and why other products around, you know, effectively multi-institution with just distribution of keys makes sense is you can't do that inherently with MPC because it's proprietary to the instance that's mm -hmm. being leveraged for that institution we're multi-sig, if us three on a call wanted to set up uh, a three of three or, or three of four or whatever it might be, whether it's a institution, multiple institutions, multiple countries, it allows for that flexibility that doesn't exist in MPC. And so when you start thinking about just trying to build more resilient financial products, you're inherently going to be based on uh, a closed network. And a good example of this, and not to like 
you know, throw shade at them, but it's just, it is a product that exists as a fire, I'm sorry, copper's uh, loop network, which is like a trading settlement layer, but it's within, and they, they have other parties that participate in it. But at the end of the day, it's within their closed source ecosystem. It's not something that is open to other participants and the, the keys that are participating in it. And the, just so everyone knows, um, I, we referenced it in the last pod, but partially signed Bitcoin transactions, it's it BIP 174, which gives us the ability to uh, have a standard where on-ramp can, can sign a transaction, coin cover can sign a transaction, Bitco can go receive that transaction because we have this agreed upon standard in you know, the Bitcoin ecosystem where I can go receive and, and understand and see that I had that half signed on-chain and then go countersign on-chain uh, to send out a multi-sig transaction. Yeah, interoperability. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it might make sense, like, just to take a, a bird's eye view to step back from, like, the minutia, because it is important from the, the technical perspectives. But we talked about um, the past 15 years and the things I wrote down. And there was a few mentioned was, was uh, SVB, which was the, the latest, and that was, like, from the money here in the States. But then, you know, we think about what happened with um, – the treasury market with Russia's treasuries or um, the the trucker instance, like this this value prop around why Bitcoin matters is has increased, uh, and we've seen it the past fifteen years. But you know the uh, WikiLeaks, Cyprus. WikiLeaks. Cyprus. I mean, it's no shortage. Mm-hmm. And um, when we think about our part, you know, participating in this. The same can be said for custody, and so it's really special to be here today, but also just like in Vegas in the conversations we were having and to launch this multi-institution at this like precipice of this time where I think we all feel Bitcoin's appreciation and price will occur. But imagine having the existing model that's been, that's, that's lived with all these holes as the only option. Uh, And there's been people that have done it the right way. Coinbase had, you know, to our knowledge has been okay. Well, you know, probably people have lost funds. It's by their own instance, not not a Coinbase, but goes another, mm-hmm. but to offer the market another product that is native to the protocol that's interoperable uh, to that is is really incredible. And like to make it really whole um, while we are setting this up and doing the testing, you know, we're part of this multi-institution product is not a name only where there's, you know, keys distributed and then an on-ramp or a third party can just go and start willy-nilly directing the, the keys and the movement of funds. And uh, it was really like powerful to get on a call as part of the process and testing with the BitGo trust team to go in and verify that the authentication, when you think about all the process, so OnRamp has its own process, and then to go to BitGo and have somebody in a completely different location under a completely different entity have to verify before they would produce that signature. And then understanding that and then knowing CoinCover as a best-in-class operator that they've been doing under the radar what they've been doing, because it's almost like when I talked to, I think uh, it was Ollie from your team, uh, heavy reference. It was very like thankless job when you think about coin cover's role because they're out there protecting, but they're not at the forefront because you don't really want it to be known if you needed coin cover, but you know that they're there and they've kind of changed some of that. You know, we can probably talk about it, but knowing that those keys are distributed and really sitting there and, and almost, obviously I'm biased, 
But being able to go to the market, which we've been chatting and say, this is the best product in the market. This is the best way to custody Bitcoin from a large scale. If you need redundancies and to know that like one institution or one entity can't rug you, uh, it's a pretty cool feeling. I think the model, we, we're talking with banks, we're talking with folks and they all see it and they're going to come in and, and we're excited about it. But to know that we're here, like being at the forefront and participating uh, is just really, really exciting to say like we've seen the value prop of the asset. Now we're seeing the value prop of understanding the custody solution and how we can participate in a different form of it for the next like chapter in Bitcoin's uh, adoption. Yeah, I, look, I think go for it, Mitch. No, you got it. Sure. I look, I, we, we all see what's coming, you know, with, you know, the potential price appreciation, you know, and the new um, institutional players that are coming into the space. And it's on us right now to go build those rails to, to go handle, you know, like I mentioned, the last one, the, the trillion dollar wallet rather than the billion dollar wallet. And it's solutions like this that uh, ultimately give us the capacity to to handle um, and reduce counterparty risk so we can handle the maturation of the industry. I, I want to give a quick shout out to, to CoinCover. And you know, I, I don't know if there's a company that really fits the, the value prop and you know, right place, right time of you know this this now push and excitement around multi-institution custody like, like you guys um you know you, you talked about the the hot wallets that you know how you operate with bitco in the past you know in a sense that was multi-institution custody where you've got a key held by um you know whatever company was using or had paid for the coin cover services and the bitco services and you had spread a key across three three different companies and i, I think that's you know it's it, it, we've been doing it for years. It's been proved out that that it works. And you know, credit to you guys, and then credit to OnRamp for for seeing the vision and saying let's productize this, and you know, let's make sure we you know let, let's secure that 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 third key um, you know, to the standards that you guys do, and productize that, and you know, build a story around that that this should be the future of custody, and uh, and go to market with that. So, um, look the. The foundation's been there um, and excited to see on ramp and, you know, the other trailblazers here uh, go to market with this and, and see how we do. And Alex, I'm particularly interested to get your perspective on how you see multi-institution custody, particularly the, uh, the role of individual key agents, because obviously you have this partnership with BitGo uh, and on ramp down the hall. You guys just announced something with Unchained and Kingdom Trust as well. So how do you see like the proliferation of key agents playing out into the future and how they interact with each other? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, Cause we have quite a unique take on that for the time being in that coin cover throughout its history, through all the various forms of delivering the services that we do, we've always maintained that we will be a non-custodial entity. We were only ever interested in holding on to enough material, enough key material, so that we can look after it, tuck it away, encrypt it, keep it super safe, and then return it so that you've got enough material to either sign a recovery transaction or reconstitute some keys, whatever it is, whatever platform you're using. And we do that so that there are zero conflicts of interest, right? You don't really want to be parking or seeking recovery services from an entity who's also running a, a kind of custodial offering as well. So we've always been very careful to distinguish that, uh, and we will always be doing that. Um, that's different, perhaps, from other key agents um, that are currently participating in, in, in this model. 
Um, and so, that, I mean, that, that's one of the ways I'll be interested to see how that continues to play out. I think when you think about an institution entering the space for the first time, right? So this is reflecting on the kinds of conversations I have with you know, entities who haven't quite made up their mind about where they want to custody assets, but they have decided that they want to use CoinCover in some respect because what they're used to is you know, good risk control, um, risk mitigations in place, essentially what, what they come to us for looking for is insurance. And so we take them on a little bit of journey around, okay, well, what does that mean in this space? Um, and really they go through this journey of, okay, well, there's the self-custody option. I could use a hardware wallet. I could use uh, one of the, um, let's call them self-custodial or direct custodial options of the market. Um, and they realize that actually, that's a lot of risk that they're taking on. And it's not just because all of that risk is centralized with you as the owner of your own assets. There is the technical complexity, uh, there's the operational process and the burden around looking after private keys and the knowledge and the expertise around that that you need to have in-house in order to pull it off well. Um, so they decide that option's not for them. And then they think, okay, well, maybe I'll go down the sort of QC route. And a lot of people do this. Um, you know, we've seen awesome uh, institutions build businesses out of this. BitGo is one, Anchorage is one. Um, but then again, this year, we've seen some failings there as well, right? Just because someone has qualified custody status uh, doesn't mean that behind the scenes, the management of private keys is being run to a high standard. And so enter this model where you have abstracted away the kind of complexities around looking after keys yourself. Um, you've also removed the risk of a third party looking after those keys and having to trust them. And now all of a sudden you've got a setup where, okay, both of those risks are entirely mitigated just through the fact that there are three parties involved. Um, it's very easy to see how quickly someone who's gone through that journey goes, ah, okay, well, there is a model um, that totally alleviates the risk for me. Um, I still have the option for a recovery key partner in there. Um, that's cool because I've wanted that. Um, but essentially I can crack on and custody these assets without having to worry about counterparty risk in a way that I have been before with neither of the custody options really giving me full confidence that those risks have been mitigated. So to me, like it's a, it's a no brainer. I expect, you know, companies who will come along and try to eat CoinCover's lunch, they should be, you know, kind of dialing up you guys right now, trying to get involved in this because it's uh, yeah, quite quite obviously going to shake up the custody landscape quite extensively over the next 12 months. Thanks for tuning in to The Last Trade. If you're enjoying the show and want to dive deeper, check us out at onrampbitcoin.com where you'll find a full suite of institutional-grade research and analytics, including our recently published white paper, Bitcoin's Full Potential Valuation, and our new tool, the on-ramp terminal. Now, back to the show. Yeah, just to add to like what Mitch said, um, huge kind of just, you know, shout out and also like um, just coin covers like core model. I, I don't think 
honestly could have come up with a better archetype for what we needed in this solution or what somebody would need if they were leveraging, especially in this role. I think there's different roles in primary, secondary, and then the backup as his current construct. And the three main things are um, jurisdictional. So if you're looking for something outside of the United States, they sit in the UK, which is valuable for, for a number of reasons. Um, that they're independent, which is, I think, also very important where this like key architecture starts to go in multi-institution is more from like game theory on who do you want to be holding a key. And, and ideally, you want somebody where it's not their core business from a signing perspective that they have other businesses lines a, a, attached to it, but their reputation is attached to making sure that they fulfill those obligations. And this could be banks and other institutions that have a larger trust factor outside of just signing the key and that if they didn't fulfill that obligation, um, it would be, you know, it, it would not be good for their business reputation. And then uh, it's their core competency, which is probably the most important in this respect that they've been doing for X number of years. But then also from this exact role of uh, holding a key that does not need to be leveraged operationally while it can, you know, on a, you know, T plus, let's call it 24 hours or 48 hours, that the reality is it's, it's, they're meant as a recovery agent. And so they have the processes in place from not only like the security, but the, um, when it comes to like communications to make sure that the parties that they're working with, there's always a channels open to, to confirm if that recovery is actually valid or not to being able to authenticate, you know, annually or whatever cadence is required to make sure that that key is still exists and they're still operationally focused. And so you tie those things together and uh, to Alex's point, it's like, if, you know, we're all right, we're going to see more people come into the space and step in and, and, and try to, you know, re, uh, craft or create these offerings. And it's, I think it's good. It's a good thing because we're basically rebuilding a financial system, or at least I like to think we are. But ultimately, they have such a leg up because they were doing this forever. And again, credit to them and Adam, their co-founder, who's jumped on multiple calls with us and saw this vision of like, hey, this actually is part of what we've been doing. And if your vision of the future is potentially one that we can participate in and grow, or maybe they're not the backup at all times. Never heard them say that, but I can see a vision where they participate in other constructs and the economics are different for how they participate. It seems like a great opportunity. And, and a lot of firms we've talked to could have done this as well, but CoinCover said, yeah, we see this, let's participate. Um, so I think it's just really a testament and similar to BitGo and just like being entrepreneurial internally while still having rep, you know very like sound businesses to say, hey, we see this vision of the future. We'd love to participate because we think this is where the puck's going. I, to, you know, I think we, we've been focused on, you know, how do we build the best key agents in this model? But to go into a little bit more depth uh, on what you mentioned, Michael, I think where we fit in the signing process, um, you know, there will be companies that are the best recovery key agent. There will be companies that are the best second signer, first signer in these setups. Um, you know, and what's important about each of those, you know, I guess the attributes that make up a, a good key agent, you know, for first, second, third signer is going to be different. You know, BitGo, we've got the infrastructure to, you know, at least, you know, at the current point, you know, we're best at second signer. Um, you know, we ensure that, you know, policies that have been adhered to. We can do video verifications like we do for you guys um, to, to check that, you know, the customer that is a, a part of this wallet is indeed, um, you know, signing off on the transaction. Um, 
we can broadcast out to our nodes. We, we've got all the infrastructure in place to be that ideal second signer. Um, you know, and we do have other jurisdictions that, that we can operate out of as well. But at the same time, you know, coin covers value prop has been been recovery uh, and has been recovery for years. And being that entity that, you know, that's their core competency, they sit outside the transaction normally, um, but have all the rails and security built that, you know, in case of that disaster, in case of key loss, you know, this is what they're good at. And I think the you know, what we'll see over the next few years is it's not just saying I'm going to be the best key agent. It's here are the attributes why I am, you know, the particular key agent you need for for this part of the process. Um, and I like for for first signer and to, to go into that a bit. I, I think the first signer should have the best relationship with the customer. There should be a familiarity there to, uh, you know, as a transaction takes place to. Um, to know that, you know, no fraud has occurred, to see through a, you know, a deep fake for a video. Um, you know, I, I, I know, you know, some of you, Michael, we've had a lot of, we had a lot of chats in Vegas of sort of art of the possible and, you know, where this goes, but like ultimately to build out the, the most security possible, you need to have a relationship with that customer to, you know, to, to see around all the edge cases and, and make sure that it is the customer that is showing up you know, that is asking for for that transaction to be signed. So uh, there's a lot of ways to do it. It's very exciting. And I know we can talk about that for a while, but I, I do think each of these three companies fit beautifully, um, you know, in what we do best uh, as our part of the key signing process. Um, I mean, I want to give up. That plays into it. Sorry, Alex. Um, no, I, I was just trying to tie together two of the threads, right? It's CoinCover does occupy this unique space um, in that it's not glamorous work. It's not sexy. Uh, when you think about, you know, buying a car and then you have to buy car insurance, like it's something you have to do. You don't relish that conversation. Backing up your private keys, like starting to see, okay, that, that is something you have to do. People are starting to learn that. Um, they don't relish that conversation. We exist simply to make that as easy as possible and to make that problem disappear, right? We're very privileged to be in that position because we did get a leg up. We started this very early on. Um, shout out to Adam and our keys team and our brilliant engineers. It takes a lot of sweat to build up the infrastructure where you can be looking after backups of keys safely, right? Like you, you can't just open up vaults somewhere, uh, you know, over the course of three months and start chucking material inside and start hiring people and start scaling a team without seriously doing your due diligence and vetting every single inch of that process end to end. Um, and, you know, that's something that Adam has been doing over a lifetime of work. That's what he brings to CoinCover. That's what he brought through into our work with BitGo. And it's really only possible when you've been doing that for kind of 20 years plus, right? That knowledge, that expertise that builds into that core competency. Um, it's not glamorous, but it's super, super effective uh, and much needed. And so, yeah, very very cool to be on that journey with CoinCover as they found themselves in this unique position. Well, I would push back on that. I think uh, 
I think it's sexier than you think. And it's sexy because it is an essential, fundamental, primitive to actually scaling this thing. And many people will look at it as boring. But I think in the early days of Bitcoin, I'm a strong believer that there's an order of operations to Bitcoin's inevitable success, the amount of success that we all believe it can have on this call. And services like CoinCover is providing. It is, is a, an essential, fundamental to get to where we want to go. And even though it may seem a little boring and unsexy, I think it's actually really sexy because it is an unlock that gets us to the really cool stuff, um, which gets into a point that you were bringing up earlier, Alex, which I think once you guys prove this model, uh, Unchain's running with this model, Anchor Watch is coming to market with this model, there's more and more companies coming with this model, and we've discussed this in the past, but I think it's worth repeating. Like I do think once it becomes glaringly obvious to the market that this is the optimal solution to custodying large amounts of Bitcoin, it's going to be demanded by end users. And you're essentially on the tip of the spear of and acting as a forcing function on the rest of the market to get on board with this multi-institution model. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. sick. Uh, Good. Well, I was, I was going to say yes, and I think institutions will lead the way. Like, I, I think this will filter down into everyday people uh, who want to use Bitcoin as well, right? Um, like, we've always posited that until you solve this risk, like, how do I put it? Being in charge of your own money is a huge responsibility. And people have been conditioned over the past, I don't know, when people start banking, like 200 years to, uh, in, in a modern sense, right? Over the past 200 years to give control of that over to another entity. What we're talking about is retraining and re-educating people to know what that freedom is, to be in charge of your own assets and your own money, but also be sensible around what the risks are, right? And that's just something people aren't used to. and. When you think about the fact that this started 15 years ago, like that is not enough time to generationally bed in this concept that, okay, you're in charge of your own money again. What does that mean? How do I treat that? Um, yeah, well and truly tip of the spear, but uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'm being corny and saying it's quite a noble aim to be really setting up a way for people to take control of their money again right and give them a viable way to look after it um, without being at risk of losing everything it's extremely noble uh, no we don't want to blow smoke up our own asses but again going back to the order of operations if bitcoin is to succeed to the level that we would like it to the, the stuff is essential we're not gonna get to the end goal of what many people think is possible without products like this, solutions like this. And it's crazy. I mean, Mitch, you were uh, mentioning it earlier, but this is truly unique to Bitcoin and other UTXO-based assets where uh, I think Bitcoin's the most advanced with the PSBD standard. Like you can all work on this individually and just leveraging the standards that exist in the open source community to create solutions that work together. Yeah. I, I want to one more time rehash the the, the sexiness of, of custody i i do agree that you know as far as topics you know fixing money um you know there's a lot of really cool things to talk about here how you're storing it 
uh, I personally, you know, am passionate about. But order of operations, uh, you know, it might be glossed over or glazed eyes, you know, when when you're talking about holding those funds. At, at the same time, I, I, you know, the biggest black eye we have as an industry right now is what happened at FTX, and. You know, generally, when you're talking to the broader population about Bitcoin, about crypto, you know, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And, you know, even coming back from the airport, they were selling Michael Lewis going infinite cannabis bags at the airport gift shop. Um, we've got work to do uh, to to instill confidence in this industry and and making sure that the coins that that you've purchased are, are still there. And. You know, it's only with telling stories like this um, and actually getting people to understand um, how coins are being held and how to check and verify that your coins are there. Uh, are we going to have the success that we all want to? Yeah, I. Uh, sorry, the weather got a little cold in Texas, and so the power went out. Um, so that's where the different different <laughs> setup has changed on Bluetooth. Uh, it's a catch 20. It's like two sides, right? It's like the most sexy thing. And then least sexy thing in the sense of it's sexy because we're nerds and freaks and we're like, Oh, like this is how the world changes. And then it's unsexy because if you think about market participants, they're going to wake up one day and be like, Oh, you mean I can buy this thing and it doesn't get like put in a Ponzi and get lent out and it doesn't disappear overnight. Maybe now I can allocate a hundred billion dollars or whatever the number is. And so, you know, I think it was just a natural evolution where I think that a lot of people haven't fully woken up to, and this is what's like the most interesting in my mind. And because we were chatting with CoinCover for close to a year with Tom, we got to give Tom a shout out because he was working with uh, us for, for a good while and he was in, in Vegas with us. Um, that you like ultimately the vision of where this goes from multi-institution to how do the funds move, but then ultimately like what are the financial products around multi-institution? Because there's this notion that you shouldn't have your keys the custodian, which I think a single custodian doesn't make sense. And there's also a notion where you want to hold your keys offline in your own multisig. And I think for a portion of that, that definitely makes sense. But if Bitcoin becomes money and you want to participate in a financial world where you either need to lock it up in a lightning channel because you have a certain provider that's going to provide liquidity and give you some uh, interest on that and you have a trusted party or you are going to invest in a bond, whatever the case might be, you need to access that Bitcoin. And there has to be, nobody talks about, well, what's the way to get access to that Bitcoin other than going into deep cold storage if Bitcoin's money and now you have to go access your keys. Like you should not really be accessing that capital that's held long-term frequently because that's a tax surface. And so as we think through some of these products and the things we plan to bring to market, it's really this foundation of like, okay, well, you can trust your parties or multiple parties that participate in this. And then now I can actually participate in an economy of financial services with knowing that I won't get rugged while I also won't, you know, be, in, you know, increasing the chance that I could actually have something happen when the price of Bitcoin is 250K and I have X Bitcoin and I need to go move a Bitcoin to do Y. And now people are looking at me or looking at like my patterns to understand what's happening. I think a lot of these things haven't really been discussed Um and they're, they're important factors if this thing actually turns into money and we want to use it, uh, whether it's day to day or year to year. Yeah, it's optionality. That's what the market needs. The optionality has been sort of narrowly focused on the wild early adopters who are comfortable taking the risk of self-custody, spinning up their own wallets, spinning up their own multi-sig quorums and buying a cold card, putting 
their Bitcoin in cold storage. And like you said, Alex, that has kept a lot of the institutions at more than arm's length, probably like a, a, a 12 foot pole worth uh, of length between Bitcoin and them as because they really can't allocate to this asset in good conscience. And uh, somebody worked at a fund, a fund of funds that index CTAs, like even at that level, like the amount of due diligence that we had to do just to invest in a fund, literally travel around the world, show up and look at the servers where people were executing trades. Like, and that's something that on the back end of the financial system is really controlled by clearing houses and broker dealers, but you still had to do your due diligence that the uh, commodity trading advisor actually had the servers. They, they said they did. And then when you bring that to Bitcoin, the, the stakes are just so much higher because it's this digital bearer asset. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the most fascinating things that I can't get past of like people can't allocate because they don't feel comfortable that the money's going to be there. Like forget about all the principles of 21 million and the things it's like, they just can't get past the fact that like everything that's happened most recent FTX, but it's like, well, why would that not happen to X individual? Because it's happened historically. That's all they see. And so you like present that to the world. And then the other part in all of this is uh, the trust. Like uh, we talked about this on previous pods, but like free banking and this idea of um, like, I, in my mind, and this could be wrong, but like when I think of free banking, I think of just like a trusted party, trusted entity and fulfilling the obligations. And so there's this requirements and in institutional world of, you know, DDQs and due diligence questionnaires, or um, what are the process that you went through to assess? And while those are necessary to check a box, the ultimate barometer for, in my mind, and I think where we go is, do you fulfill the obligations that you were meant to do? Whether it's like I lent against the Bitcoin, you delivered the Bitcoin, you were meant to sign. And we're starting to see that and it'll continue to grow where it won't actually matter your qualified custodian license or whatever it is, but it's actually falls into, did you fulfill the obligations in those track records of a coin cover of a bit go where on ramp, you know, aims to be, you look and it's like as good as gold that they will sign, they will do what they're supposed to, um, I think plays into all this from a reputational perspective, starts to matter a lot more uh, because some firms just won't fulfill the obligations that we've seen as we've seen. Yeah. Now this has me very curious. Have either of you, any three of you gentlemen run into an institution that has a pretty fleshed out DDQ for Bitcoin custody? Um, Because again, going back to the fund that I worked at, I was on the portfolio management team. And when we were going through the DDQ, it was again, checking those servers. Uh, You had like emergency like fallback options, like if somebody dies at the firm, like who takes over, what is their contingency plan? Like, has anybody even figured that out on the institutional side in regards to Bitcoin custody? And, uh, what, would that, and what would that DDQ look like if they haven't? Um, so I'd say we, we get very, very extensive DDQs from anyone from US government to financial institutions around the world. Um, shout out to my solutions team who fills those out on a regular basis. Um, you know, it's a very, very extensive list. Um, and I think some companies do it great. Some companies, you know, maybe miss the mark on what they should be asking. But, uh, you know, those ZDQs certainly, certainly exist and uh, can be painful at times, but uh, hearts in the right place for sure. But to on the other question, you know, it, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, it's not just being a QC, but it's, it's the proof of work 
ultimately. And, you know, you've got a lot of history with BitCo and CoinCover here. Um, but ultimately, you know, the only ways that we're going to prove that an institution is worthwhile and being part of these setups is, is by doing the proof of work and showing, you know, having clients go in and doing test transactions, actually seeing the funds move um, and, you know, being key agents and doing the roles that we do for a period of time that, you know, the market, you know, agrees, uh, is, is, you know, is enough and, um, you know, builds the trust in, you know, this multi-institution setup that, uh, we all believe that, that we can deliver here, but it's the same that, you know, Bitco has been around for 10 years and, you know, flywheel of assets, you know, does occur. Um, you know, as you stay in the industry longer, you become the more trusted party and, you know, the, the reputation does the marketing for you. Um, and, you know, it only helps our marketing team uh, by you know, being that, you know, we're still here. Uh, it certain, certainly helps. Um, and I, I think it, you know, will only lend more credence to these multi-institution setups. Yeah. And tying this back to like FTX and the lack of trust that exists out there because of FTX. I mean, people just look at SBF on the stand during this trial the last couple of weeks is like, how the hell did anybody ever trust this guy with a cent of money, let alone billions of dollars. But going back, the point to make here is that um, having a low time preference, going sl slow and steady, really focusing on doing things right and doing right by your end customer at the end of the day, especially again, 15 years since the white paper launched, like if the early companies, whether it be BitGo, CoinCover, OnRamp, others in the space execute on building a good reputation and a good relationship with their clients. We're talking about institutions that could be around for more than a century. We could be seeing the emergence of the JP Morgans, uh, Goldman Sachs, BNY Mellons in the Bitcoin space in this first 15 years. Yeah, I never recognize, and maybe this is naive of me, and I've kind of used this, these weekly pauses, like learning things in real time as we're building this business and, and being able to share them. And one of the biggest is like who your counterparty is from like the very top down and founders or executives at a company. Because you just hit the nail on the head, Marty, with like, imagine the contrast between SBF and Mike Belshi. You couldn't literally have different people and then different companies and trajectories of them. And so like the DDQ and a lot of that is going to be coming to life when you think about what does it look like multi-institution DDQ versus a single institution. And we're starting to have those discussions. Um, but ultimately I don't think there's a single bullet for like how you evaluate your custodian in this world. It's more of like, you know, the leadership, the, the key partners, key partners, the vehicle product, the product vehicles. And the reason for that is because if you look at Bitcoin's past, let's call it 24 months or 15 years, you can probably go to every founder and executive and look at their track record and what they did before and be like, maybe we should have looked at this a little further versus the ones that are still alive. And there's like this model of the future, this version of what they've been doing. And so I think that's just like this new thing that I've started to like realize of like, if you go assess a counterparty, you should want to really get into the weeds of like, what is the vision of their future? Like, where is their cash flow? How are they thinking about, you know, custody in this landscape and the future landscape? What are the other products? Who are their partners? Because I think you start to really put a whole picture around, is this a party to Marty's point do you, that you want to have for one year, 10 year, 100 year? 
hundred years, or is this something that hasn't been fully fleshed out? Um, and yeah, I just like looking back, you can kind of see based on, you know, founders and teams who really can stand the test of time because they just have a foundational grasp in like what is happening here, the, the future of like this space versus somebody that's coming in and just kind of like duct taping things together. And then ultimately we've seen what happens um, when that occurs. And, and it goes um, deeper than that, right? Like, is this the way that you want to custody assets for five years, 10 years, 50 years, whatever? I think it was on the last pod you guys were uh, throwing around this idea that actually you need to be building for you know true trillionaires situations where you have assets consolidated at an address that is worth over a trillion dollars and like that has an insane amount of value to, to think about protecting and keeping safe um and what's nice is when you um, you know we do this at CoinCover. When people come to us, we really like to reset the conversation because people think about, okay, I need this, I need this. Can you can you solve this problem for me? And what we like to do is wind back and say, actually, okay, let's start from the beginning. What are you trying to do? What are you scared of? What are you as an institution actually worried about when it comes to risk? And it always comes down to, okay, well, I'm worried about getting rug pulled. I'm worried about someone getting control of signing transactions and stealing from me. Um, I'm worried about my assets being kind of co-mingled or mixed or, or moved somewhere else without me knowing. And the same risks all the time. What's nice about this model is actually you have a really nice and simple answer to guide people through getting comfortable with those risks. Um, and so when you think about a custody model that stands the test of the time and also the test of having to be able to store you know, trillions of dollars worth, today's dollars worth of assets inside them, um, you really need to be able to take people through that journey of getting comfortable with those risks and, and educating them and allowing them to understand that, okay, fundamentally baked into the setup, um, you know, it's, it's not superficial tools that we're laying over on top to, to mitigate these risks. It's actually baked into the way that we can get a solution together. Yeah, it's, it's, it goes back to what we chatted about the billion dollar, like nobody's ever been a billionaire until Bitcoin, right? That like you need it. And if you think about it, we're basically getting ahead of where people's concerns are. And the question be, would be from the outside is how the fuck would you guys know what my concerns are? And then Marty, I haven't shared this with you because we haven't caught up since Vegas, but I had this unlock when I was talking about, I think it was with Mitch at the event we hosted. And it's the reason we're able to articulate these concepts and build them is because we are, are either very smart or very dumb that we've been allocating a disproportionate amount of our capital <laughs> to this space and so we had to figure out how do you custody it custody that right and so then you think about well what was the early you know solution i was an early on chain client parker identified okay this person's using this maybe he can actually go out and sell it and help you know get product market fit and develop that because he had internalized what is the risk when you have a disproportionate amount of your capital stored and in that same respect is how this product and this like multi-institution came about is realizing that as you go through thousands of onboardings and billions of dollars in allocation it's like okay that works but then there's a lot of people that can't do it that way for whatever reason whether it's mental blocks or from an institutional fiduciary perspective cannot leap there and that's ultimately how you come to these conclusions. And there will be other ones. There will be different quorum structures and different entities and different regulations that are required. But we're just living effectively in the future because we've looked at this so long that we're like, okay, when that trillion dollar wallet exists, the person can't build it with Coinbase. It just can't make sense. And even though they don't know it, when that happens, 
they're going to freak out just like holding a ledger underneath your mattress when it's $10 million freaks people out today and they still do it. And there's going to be an equilibrium point when the price hits 60 and then 72 and then 105 and every point going up where they start picking up the phone and, and calling on ramp or Unchained or any firm that's participating in things like this, because the reality is like, we just haven't put ourselves in the spot or most people haven't to be managing that amount of wealth, knowing that if I mess it up, it's all gone. And it can't even be their messing up. It could just be like external factors that mess it up for them. Um, so anyway, that was another, another unlock. Me, me and Marty haven't chatted in like a week and a half. So I'm just kind of sharing things I generally would have had behind the scenes. No, but you're, you're spot on, right? Like we, we've seen this in the past year at CoinCover. Has it been a year? It's been over a year, God. Um, the moment FTX happened, the phone started ringing, right? People were like, oh, okay, this risk mitigation thing is real. Like I, I need to be thinking about how safe are my assets and who has access to my private keys? What happens when private keys get lost? What am I doing to mitigate like the risks of my assets being used for other things than what, what I stored them there for, right? And it's until people start to, until it becomes real, people feel a bit of pain and it becomes personal for them, um, they won't act. And we saw that with risk mitigation and that was great for us. I think you're spot on, uh, Michael, that, yeah, as that pressure increases and people start to sweat as Bitcoin grows next year, and, you know, we're all very, very bullish on it, um, I think people will start to pick up the phone and say, okay, I'm not, I'm now no longer comfortable um, with the risk here. I now need a better way to custody these assets. Yeah, fully expect to see that. And like I, a bit of confidence that we saw the exact same thing play out, albeit differently, um, but it, it will happen again and again. I think being a Bitcoiner, you're acutely aware of the edge cases that turn into the actual cases, uh, the when things go wrong, how to protect against them. Uh, there's an inherent paranoia that comes into you know your keys or your money. There's no... You know, FDIC insurance that, that bails you out when something goes wrong. So I, I think he, you know, inherently in, you know, my keys are, you know, a very, very significant portion of the, the wealth that, you know, my family has. And you know, we plan on passing on to our kids and living off of. So in you know, building, you know, the, the perfect or the ideal product and continuing to perfect that product, um, you know, I think it, it is, you know, I don't know if there is anybody better at building for that scenario than, you know, the people who, who worry about it or, or have to worry about it as, you know, on an everyday basis, because, you know, they're in those shoes. So you know, I, I do think we are building for that trillion dollar wallet because, you know, ultimately, you know, we're storing a, you know, our, our life force, our, our, our earnings here. And, you know, I, I would want to keep that with the, you know, the best standards that, that, that are humanly possible. Yeah. Like we said last week, that wallet gets really heavy when the price starts running. <laughs> Thank God there's solutions coming to market that make it a, a little, a little weightless, if you will, um, bring peace of mind to the market. Yeah, I'm really glad we recorded this. 
on the white paper day because uh, I think this is going to be like a very good evergreen, like just like basically how we got here and then where we're headed. And I think Mitch, what he referenced is also like Mitch has been a special part in all of this because he recognized what we're doing and had the autonomy within BitGo and BitGo has a focus, you know, on Bitcoin infrastructure as well as crypto to build products of the future. And he had that problem in his own mind of like, how do I custody the thing? How do I think about it to see like, oh, well, others are going to have that. And so like we're, we're sitting here today is like, it's just a kind of like amalgamation of like the past, you know, five plus years, however long people have been in the space, all with their own little parts in it coming together. And this is a big part of this podcast because we're able to like share a lot of the like process that goes into it versus looking at a screen and saying, oh, this looks interesting. And there's like, there's a lot of backstory and work that was done to get this to, to where it is today. Yeah. And this is just the one of, of what's, you know, what's coming i you know we we had the conversations in vegas we've been having the conversations of you know are the possible for this whether that be you know truly multi-jurisdictional or building in things like time locks or you know marty flashed the card you know to to prove identity there there are ways to step up here and i think only real bitcoiners are going to keep pushing this forward and you know bringing you know, that that infrastructure and that redundancy to to make the best products out there in the industry, and I think that's how ultimately we end up differentiating from traditional finance, tradition like differentiating from the ETF, and making sure that uh, you know Bitcoin lives outside the brokerage account. Yeah, and with that, considering it's white paper day, we're talking about the first fifteen years of Bitcoin, where we may go in the future. Let's uh, end it with a treat for anybody watching this podcast on YouTube or Spotify, Michael Goldstein, the meme king of Bitcoin came out with a great white paper video today that I think we should watch because it really puts the context of everything that happened before Bitcoin launched uh, into consideration, which many people don't realize Bitcoin was birthed on the, on the shoulders of giants. Make sure you start it from the beginning. Thank you. I don't believe that we should ever have a good money again before we take the thing out of the hands of government, then we can't take them violently out of the hands of government. All we can do is, by some sly roundabout way, <laughs> introduce something they can't stop.
Goosebumps. We found the sly roundabout way, guys. We did it. But if you only need 2% allocation, it's, it's okay. It's just competing with gold. <laughs> Shout out to Michael, the meme god of Bitcoin. That, that one gave me goosebumps. I actually had a behind-the-scenes look at how that was developed over the last few weeks. Could have waited for it to be dropped this morning. Love it. We have to give a shout out to, to Jesse as well. Uh, I don't know if we addressed he's uh, uh, he's not on the pod today because he is uh, in flight. You know, we're we like to build redundancies and strength in a in a unit, and having him in Texas is an important function of uh, our operational our operational resilience. And um, you know, had a good discussion with Mitch and Alex in Vegas, and it looks like you know Texas could be on the cards for them, maybe to start to visit. But uh, at some point, you know, I think we're starting the process of uh, getting getting them. Their, their units can be jurisdictionally segregated across the world, but them from a personal perspective, I think Texas is in their future. Michael was pretty instrumental in me realizing that I've, I'm, I'm long New York and short Texas and you know, the risk that uh, <laughs> that provides. Now I'm not ready to make the jump yet, but I'm, I'm at least uh, aware of the risks. Touch points. Yeah. No. I am. I don't know if you remember this, but you did extend an invitation to myself and Tom to get a taste of that sweet, sweet freedom. So we, we will be coming over to uh, have a look around. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. Somebody was in New York for a while. It is uh, much different. As Michael says, you get to Texas at the price you deserve. That's right. Gentlemen, this has been a pleasure. Before we wrap up, does any, anyone have parting notes on what you guys are building, anything we didn't touch on, we can send the audience away with. I'm just glad you guys joined. Excited. It was uh, good to see you guys last week. And then um, glad we were able to have this discussion today. Totally. I was going to say no real parting notes about coin cover, but if uh, Mitch ever offers uh, to play a few hands of Texas Hold'em with you, I'd, um, I'd advise to decline. <laughs> if, if you if you care about money, that's only you care about. Yeah, Mitch, Mitch is a killer. Yeah, I was only taking fiat, so it's okay. Um, True. Yeah, I, my my takeaway from this week was it was it was really that this is the V one here, and um, the excitement is is palpable of that we're we're building the rails here and not stopping and. I couldn't be more excited and nothing I'd rather be working on. We're going to win. Happy white paper day, gentlemen. Got to have a winner's mentality. Distributed, multi-sig, multi-institution, multi-jurisdictional custody. It's the future. We're building it. Go forth. Work hard. Let's get it. We got the sly roundabout way. See you next week.